Thanks for having me. I didn't know this. I just visited your website here. I grew up in New Orleans. Yeah, that's right. And I lived there for about eight years. Oh, wow. Um, my dad ran a shrimp boat. My mama cleaned oh. some bars. And uh, But my mom's family, their roots are deep in Georgia. So I think Hampton, Stockbridge, south of Atlanta, that's okay. where all her family's from. Uh, how'd so. you end up here? Well, Watkinsville, Oconee County. Uh, came, came to school at the university. So came in 97 for uh, undergraduate in computer science and mm-hmm. You know, loved it. Fell in love with the town. Met my wife at the university, and we both loved the town. So you got here about the time I did. I got here in '98, and neither of us have left. Uh, mm-hmm. What what propelled the decision a year ago, uh, more than a year ago now, but to run in that special election? You know, I just wanted to, there to be some options and some choices in the election. So one of the things I had three already. Well, all that's true. That's true. That's true. They were all sort of the same flavor of yeah. options. So uh, I was looking to provide some competition there. I thought that it would help grow the community and help folks get stronger in the community. I think when uh, when it's sort of a foregone conclusion, people are just a little apathetic about it, and I think that leads to a lack of accountability for our elected officials. So. Uh, if pe- people are paying attention, they're more likely to hold us to account. And I think that's what needs to happen if, for every elected official. You know, I may have, and then back to last year, I may have, I, I probably wouldn't have, but I might have predicted that Jonathan Wallace would win, but I wouldn't have said he would win without a runoff. You beat three Republicans, and a couple of these guys pretty well known, one at least, and without a, so much as a runoff. How'd you manage that? Was it strictly the turnout? What what did that for you? Uh, I think the turnout was a big, big piece of it. And I think it was uh, the, the, the fact there was just a couple of races. And, and so mm. a lot of focus and attention tension were, were on the races and there was a lot of energy. Um, but, you know, some folks have given me credit. They said, oh, you built a great team. And I said, well, I didn't build a team. People just showed up to help. <laughs> and I said, thank you and accepted their help. And so I think that was a big part of it is that uh, there were a lot of folks who were on the ground knocking on doors. Principal software engineer at, at an outfit called Stitch Fix. What do you people do? Um, well, I used to be there. Um, so but that's the old job. Stitch okay. Fix was an online uh, company that sold clothes. Uh, and they're based out of San Francisco, so I would fly out there fairly oh, often. Wow. But once uh, once I uh, won the seat last year, it was necessary for me to look for other employment. It was going to be too difficult. I uh, work for a startup out of Atlanta in Atlanta Tech Village, still doing software development, working out of my house and in a co-working space over on the tra- uh, Tracy Street Warehouses, Chase Street Warehouses on the other side of town. Uh, and hired a couple of folks locally to help work out, you know, help us do things there. So that's been fantastic. But um, we are we help nonprofits uh, acquire new revenue streams. So I think Red Cross, uh, Care, World Vision, those types of folks. Uh, we help them find new revenue streams and uh, and be successful in, in fulfilling their their missions and their vision. Jonathan Wallace again, the incumbent in House District 119, Democrat. Get to some of the politics and the issues here in a moment. But I noted this: the forum we did last, uh, I guess Thursday a week ago, at, uh, at the hospital. Uh, several of the candidates showed up. You and Marcus Weedow are there. I was struck by something. I, I don't note this often, and I'm not trying to be all warm and fuzzy here. That That is completely not me. But I noted this. And it just struck me. And if, if my eyes were fooling me, then so be it. But it looked like you guys actually liked each other. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt, he's um, he's somebody I have a lot of respect for. I know I, our children are in the same grade, so we mm-hmm. see each other at, at school events occasionally. And um, and so there's a lot of respect there because I've seen the work that he's put in firsthand. So um, it's uh, it's easy to do. And then and then the circles are not that big uh, in yeah. this town. And so I have a lot of mutual friends who know him and uh, through the athlete, you know, athletic community and exercise community. And so, um, yeah, I just have a lot of respect. And 
my respect has grown too for anybody who runs for office. Mm. I mean, when you when you see what it takes to get involved, uh, you just have a healthy respect for folks who put themselves out there and are willing to do the work to try to represent the people. Now, you know, one way or the other, win or lose, otherwise you're going to see him at these school events after the election too. That's right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Which is interesting that, that this happens at this local level in ways that it doesn't always happen in some of the other races uh, that, that we'll talk about. Because I mean, you look at some of these, it doesn't look like the people like each other, but it, I was just struck by the fact that you guys seem to be genuinely warm toward one another. All right, the issues, the issues that separate you or will separate you. Uh, what are you hearing the most? What are people, you're talking to people, but you're listening to people too. What are mm-hmm. they saying? Yeah, the thing that I've heard the most when, when knocking on doors or having people email me is about health care. Uh, it's been a rising cost that's uh, gone up uh, year over year. When our teachers receive raises, they get eaten up by health care costs. It's just been a thing. And that's just for folks who maybe have access to it. There's also a lot of folks that don't have access to it. So that's probably been the thing that I've heard the most, and it's the most concerning. Well, here's what I heard in that forum a mm-hmm. couple of weeks ago. I heard it over and over again, mostly, in fact, exclusively from the Democrats because Republicans believe something else. But I heard mm-hmm. this from the Democrats. And tell me if I'm getting this wrong. But my sense was that we almost got it right with Obamacare all those years ago if we just done that one little extra thing, which is accept the Medicaid expansion while we'd be in high cotton right now. All these health care issues that we're talking about would be solved. I mean, is yeah. that am I overstating it or is that your view on this? I, I think you're overstating it a little bit. I don't think there one one move would solve all of our problems by any means. I think though when we think about what we're talking about with health care, we've already been paying for that access to Medicaid. We just haven't actually received it. So we've been spending money, $9, $8 a day that have been going to the state government. So that's around like $32 billion a year that we have not received. So it wouldn't solve all of our problems. But you know, the whole point of insurance is that we de- distribute that risk amongst everybody. That means everybody has to be helping out and paying into it. And when we have folks that are not doing that, um, it, it really hurts overall. And so I think we're in a downward spiral where less folks are paying into it, less folks are getting health care. And then when they do get health care, I just always tell my dad, we got universal health care. It's called go to the emergency, go to the emergency room. room. Yeah, and, and that's the most expensive way to do the it. The most so, inefficient way. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Jonathan Wallace, State Rep. Jonathan Wallace. I kept hearing this, too, and I don't know, and I'm not putting words in your mouth because I don't think I heard you say this, but I did hear a couple of the other candidates, Democrats, say, oh, well, it's just, the market doesn't work. There's a market failure. Clearly, you know, the market does good things elsewhere but not health care. I'm thinking, and I'm approaching this from another philosophical viewpoint, but I'm thinking, how about we try the market? The mm-hmm. way that we do, for example, and I always point to this, auto insurance, mm-hmm. home insurance, those things are, are relatively affordable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got people beating down my door to provide those policies to me. They're, they're yelling at me on TV and radio and all the advertising. I've got, I got dozens of choices. I got like, what, two choices in Georgia for health care right now, two or three? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because, I, my argument would be that it's because of government intervention in the market. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, what your statement. And I think the, the challenge with the, the health care market, it has been so dysfunctional for so long that if we take a hands-off approach, we might find ourselves going through a lot of pain. And when I mean a lot of pain, you have a lot of folks who, this, these are life or death decisions. And that's what I think we have to really be conscious of, is that there it's so distorted. I was a uh, software developer uh, director for a medical billing company here in Athens. I got to see up close and personal how dysfunctional it was. We were Our job was to get the insurance, uh, get the insurance companies to pay the medical labs for uh, labs that people had to order. And you have 18 months. I don't know if you, you know, an 18 month experience of waiting to get paid. People could rip back claims 18 months Mm -hmm. after the fact. It was just this big game. And that was just, that's inefficiency and overhead that's just costing 
ultimately us, the people who are paying for those services at the end of the day via insurance. So uh, I agree that the market is incredibly dysfunctional. Um, I think it was back in the 70s when we allowed profit seeking to start entering into our healthcare industry. And I think that's fundamentally. But again, the profit seekers are out there in the auto insurance industry. They're out there in the housing insurance industry. And those things are affordable. Yeah. And in great supply. Yeah. And I think I think the thing is, is that I would agree with so many folks that it's it's a dysfunctional market. It's the that's the challenge. And it's and it's been distorted for so long. There's not an easy fix to get back to a fair, equitable, transparent. I, I think the, the big thing is if we could mandate that transparency so folks could see what they're paying ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a, uh, a nurse who runs a surgery center here in Athens just yesterday while canvassing. And she was telling me how the insurance, you know, you can get pre-authorization, but it doesn't mean anything. The insurance company will say, yeah, we'll pre-authorize I was you. I was going to ask you about that, this surprise billing thing. Mm-hmm. There's a study committee out there on that right now. I go to the ER and right. it's specifically, I think, deals with Blue Cross. I don't know, but I, I go to the ER and uh, find out later from Blue Cross, hey, you shouldn't have gone to the ER. We're not going to pay right. your bill. That's what, right. What can we do with this? Yeah, so that's a surprise billing or balance billing. They will all of a sudden adjust the cost based on what services you received, especially if they see your insurance covers it. Then they'll jack up the cost. Because uh, so who cares? I don't. My insurance uh, paid for it. Yeah. Well, they, then they well they jack it up so that you end up paying out of pocket. Right. right and so right. you end up having to come off the hip mm-hmm. for it. Uh, in addition to the stuff you're already paying the insurance, so you're mm-hmm. having to pay twice for the same service. Yeah. These are the types of things that I think are really frustrating for folks is that you don't know what the thing's going to cost before you have to get it. And sometimes you don't get a choice as to right. whether you're going to get it or not. So, you know, um, we, you know, one of our local hospitals wrote off $25 million in engine care. We are paying for these things already. We're just doing it in the most inefficient way possible. And that's one of the reasons that I'm like, we've got to fix this healthcare problem. And I think access to healthcare for uh, half a million Georgians would be pretty good. Elections that are now two weeks and one day away. The incumbent in House District 119 in studio with us this morning, continuing a conversation with Jonathan Wallace, uh, elected a year ago in the special election. I'm already confused. That was the Chuck Williams seat. That's correct. Right? And, and Deborah Gonzalez has the Regina Quick seat, as we'll call it. 119, what's the geography there? Uh, you've got the southeastern portion of Athens, Clark County. So it's, it's a little sawtooth. You've got, I think, Cedar Shoals High School and below. You've got a little bit of downtown. You've got a fifth of five points. You've got Westlake. And then you can think the majority of Oconee County. Now, literally the other side of Westlake, because uh, I can ride through my neighborhood and see Houston Gaines or Deborah Gonzalez signs all over the place and then cross over. And then suddenly I'm in Jonathan Wallace's district there. Uh, some of the things, and again, I'll circle back to the forum we had a, a few nights ago at the hospital, some of the issues that were raised. One of them dealing with this question of, of voter security, the voting machines that we use. I mean, that's in your wheelhouse, right, in terms mm-hmm. of, of, of software. How concerned should we be uh, in terms of the machines that we are using? Now, I know this is antiquated technology, and they've got to mm-hmm. be replaced anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, replaced with what? There are some who would say back to the future, go all the way back to the paper ballots. They would say exclusively paper ballots. Some say... Uh, use the electronic machine with a paper backup. What what does Jonathan Wallace say? Uh, I say handmark paper ballots. There is a lot of complexity in our voting system. I mean, it's just going to be there. We want it to be secure. We want it to be anonymous. We want we want to preserve that anonymity for voters. So it's it's a complicated system. But when we're looking at the impact that technology being introduced to that process can bring, there's a lot of concern there is that it can be used for ill. And, you know, technology can be used for good or evil. It just depends on how we make sure we're careful with it. Well, with when it comes to the, the, the system that we have today, we just don't have any way to verify the electronic power that technology is bringing to it. So when we tally the votes electronically, 
we don't know that they're being tallied correctly. It's, uh, the, the great thing about computers is we have files that we can change quickly and easily. Same thing ap applies to information on the, on the computer, whether it's uh, voting records or whether it's voting uh, vo actual votes. And it's very difficult to check it if you don't have some paper backup. So that's right. why I say hand-mark paper ballots. Uh, with no electronic component at all. Well, I think we can make some exceptions for folks, especially with disabilities. So if somebody wants to mm. need some assistive technology, that makes sense. Uh, we could use optical scanners to count those up. We would still like to get, nobody wants to wait days to find out what happens in an election anymore. So for that reason, I would say we could still use optical scanners. But every time we introduce a piece of technology, we have to be super careful that we have checks and balances around it to make sure that we can validate that the results haven't been tampered with some in some electronic fashion. Yeah, my rebuttal to that would be, and it, it's not, well, it is evidentiary, it, it's completely evidentiary. We, we have a long and rich tradition of election fraud, not only mm -hmm. in our state, but but all across the country and probably all over the world. And the overwhelming majority of it was done before we ever started using electronic touchscreen voting machines. We've only been using those in Georgia a little more than 15 years. Right. So most of the election fraud that we hear about and read about people rising from the grave and voting in alphabetical order, which literally happened, uh, and that happened with paper ballots. Right? Right. It's not as though there's some, some time when we had pristine, perfect elections and we need to get back to that. That's right. Yeah, there's no panacea. We have to be, you know, we have to be diligent. We have to make sure that the process is transparent, and we have to make sure that we have the security in place at each stage along the way. Uh, so that means, you know, at our local levels, we have fantastic board of elections folks. They're making sure that the manual processes that protect access to those machines are followed, right? And that's what we can have faith in, because I've met those folks personally, and I can speak to their their work ethic and their integrity. But when we look at the power that the technology brings, I can tell you that those folks, when I was explaining my position to them, I was like. There's, I understand how easy it is to hack into machines and for us to not know. I mean, when you think back in the day. You tell me because this mm -hmm. is what you know. How easy is it? Here's my understanding of that yeah. die bowl machine I'm going to go cast my early vote yeah. on here today or tomorrow. It's plugged into the wall. It's not connected to the Internet. Mm -hmm. and it, It's no more hackable than, I don't know, the radio that's plugged into the wall. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the uh, Iranians had uh, a nuclear uh, 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 machines that would uh, centrifuges that would spin things, mm -hmm. and those things weren't connected to the internet either. It took uh, two, three, four years, but we were we maybe weak with quotes mm -hmm. around it because I don't know that it was necessarily the U.S. was ever attributed to it. We hacked those and destroyed their their nuclear centrifuges. How? Uh, I mean, I don't mean literally how, but what conceptually how yeah. do you do that? So it just takes a long time. You infect somebody who infects somebody who infects mm -hmm. somebody, and then eventually it gets there. And that's sort of the concern with these air gap machines is if somebody an air gap means uh, not, connected, not to connected to the internet. To the internet. So okay. those machines that we look at but I don't think that's the bigger concern because that's the hard work to do you'd have to do it in 159 counties mm -hmm. you'd have to do it to a bunch of machines, of machines to have an impact the bigger issue is that we're sourcing machine parts from other states because those machine those other states have already moved on from this type mm -hmm. of technology mm -hmm. so if somebody gets in, in as a middle person they could infect those machines still that's the lower issue the bigger issue is how do we tally it up at the central office are those is that system secure as it needs to be and I think that's where the, the majority of my concern lies because we had some issues issues in the last couple of years where we saw uh, information being exposed that didn't need to be exposed. And it's just, you know, it's hard to do information security correct correctly. It really is a challenge. And so uh, it's something that we need to invest in in Georgia to make sure that we can have that faith in our elections. State Rep. Jonathan Wallace with us another few minutes here. Uh, school security. Uh, what do we do here? Uh, in turn, and and let's, let's, let's try this. Mm -hmm. Let's not mention guns. Yeah. Let's just leave that out. And, and we'll, that's another discussion for a sure. bigger question. Just leave guns out for a moment. What do we do to make our schools safer? 
So I think the big thing is limited access. Uh, I know that we've done the same thing over here in Oconee Elementary School, which is one of the schools in uh, District 119, where you have one entrance. Once the, once the day is started, once the, the school day is started, you have to go through the office. It's a, a, dual, a double door entry. I think that's what we're looking at. We're looking at closed campuses that are, that are secure, where there's only one entrance and only one exit. When you go in as a visitor, you're taking pictures, and you have to get buzzed in, and, and, the, and the buzzer's way far away from the door. So I think that's the thing we're looking at when we're talking about how to make sure our children are safe and they can learn um it's it's super concerning that's uh that's an issue that um it, it just breaks my heart to think about really. it's sad what you just described is, is sad more than anything it, else. it really is the, the, one of the reasons i say leave guns out of it is that at least at the legislative levels already decided if you want to talk about and everybody does whether or not to allow teachers to arm themselves the legislature doesn't decide that. Clark County School Board does. Oconee mm-hmm. County School Board does. So that that's are you okay with that? That it be, is decided at a local level? Yeah, I think you know there's a lot of uh, positions that I hold where I, I feel very strongly that you know we do best when we let the folks closest to the people on the ground make those decisions because they're, they're easy to hold to account. It's uh, more challenging to hold the folks in, in the federal of, uh, federal offices accountable for their decisions. It's it's a little bit more challenging for the folks in the state level. It's one of the reasons that I believe in making myself as accessible as possible uh, because that I feel like that's the responsibility of this position is to be accountable to the people. And it's one of the reasons that I ran is to, to in, introduce and improve the accountability for the folks in the state office. So you, you like this? You like this going out and campaigning and oh, fundraising? So, and Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, uh, you know, the one thing I've, I vouched when I started was that I wasn't going to sacrifice my integrity for anything. Uh, this uh, And so uh, I can't I can't tell a lie. I, sometimes I enjoy it and sometimes I don't. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. But I'll tell you the thing that overrides that that feeling of uh, work is the honor. You know, it, it's, it's, it's an incredible honor, and it's hard to convey in words uh, the responsibility that the people have given me and how, how dear and precious I hold that. Yeah, I, I mentioned this in the forum the other night. The same conversation with Marcus Weedauer, because the similarities, both of you, you got jobs, day jobs. You got families, three kids, young grade school kids and, and spouses, and, and you, you positioned in your church, Presbyterian church, an elder in the church. I mean, you got enough to do. Yeah, <laughs> and, and now this, which isn't a full-time job, but I bet it feels like one. It definitely is. I call it a, a part-time job with full-time responsibility, and only with the grace of uh, you know my coworkers uh, allowing me to have a flexible schedule, with the grace of my wife willing to step up and take on more responsibilities at home, and then friends and family helping out to help kids get kids from A to B and make sure that we're covered. I mean, it really is a, it really is a service, and but it does feed the soul. You know, it really does. It, it, it it's something that you know you're doing good work and you're and you're working hard on. On behalf of the people and uh, and that that helps it balance out how do you keep it from feeding the ego um yeah that's a great question and nobody's asked me that yet um i maybe uh, yeah, I, I don't i don't know how to say this uh, you know I, that's a really deep question i am not in this for the ego i ran on the assumption that I would create some choice. And so we talked about this a little bit earlier. Hey, is Jonathan Wallace going to win in the special? I was like, I knew I was going to make it competitive. I didn't know that I was going to get there. Um, I think if I ever feel, and I've told folks, if you ever see me get into that egocentric phase, it's time for me to leave and let me know. It's time, you know, kick me out. Quickly, where do we find you on the web? Uh, Wallace419.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go there and look at my platform, find more about me. If you want to help out in the campaign, that's a great place to look and Wallace start. Wallace4, F-O-R, Wallace419.com. Jonathan Wallace, best luck 15 days you know, that thing is a marathon not a sprint it's a sprint now that's right that's <laughs> right 15 days to get this thing done uh, thanks for dropping in this morning yeah thank Best you of luck